blessing again to be here. I bring greetings from Pastor Mike Birchfield from Westfields Church and the elders there. We are so blessed to be partnering with you, and it is truly an honor, and it is a joy to come here and to open the word with you. Um, my wife and my two sons are in the back. Um, I asked her to sit in the front, but she's a good Baptist. She's sitting in the back. Um, she got here early to get the best seat. Um, I'm just teasing, but... Uh, here we are. It is a blessing. I just want to get into God's word this morning. That's what we're here for. It's Sunday. And um, so let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time, and um, we'll get into our, into our study. I'm going to be preaching from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. So if you want to prepare yourself, Hebrews chapter 12. But before, let's pray. Lord God, we do, as Brother Mike says, Lord, we come into your presence we come in, Lord, boldly into your throne room. For you have given us access through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our prophet, who is our priest, who is our king, who is our sin bearer. And we thank you, Lord, for you have given us a way. You have given us access because of the work that you accomplished for each of us. Lord, you have rescued us from sin and perdition, and you have brought us into union and communion. We're back with our Father. We are so blessed. We are so thankful. And Lord, as the worship team led us into your presence, Lord, how awesome it is that brothers dwell together in unity. Oh, Lord, mighty are you. Lord, you answer our prayers. You are in our midst. Lord, your word says that we are to taste and see of your goodness, and Lord, and we do. But Lord, truly it is well with our souls. But Lord, but we truly ask, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, we invite him this morning to be in our midst, to comfort us, to convict us, to teach us, to guide us. And we thank you, Lord, for your scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of your word, the promises in your word, the exhortations in your word as we study one this morning, Lord. Lord, you know that we are needy people. You know our hearts. You know where each of us stands. So we ask to come, be in our midst, do a wonderful work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Again, it is so good to be here. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm only going to read the first three verses, verse 1, 2, and 3. I don't know, do you guys stand for the reading of the word? You do? Let's stand for the reading of the word. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Verse 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Amen. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, his perfect word. Well, the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, I'm going to take this off. It's kind of warm up here. Um, the writer of Hebrews, if you were to take my, my title of my message, it's, it's kind of like what, what we just read, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Encouragement for the weary, that is my title this morning. But the writer of Hebrews, the author, he gives us the reason why he wrote this letter. He tells us in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 22, he says, I write this to you. I want to give you a word of exhortation. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for this is why I've written to you briefly. The NSAB says this, but I urge you, brethren, bear with my word of encouragement. So this morning, my hope is that you will bear this word of encouragement, word of exhortation. Now, the whole book of Hebrews has exhortation acts or exhortation. We see exhortation in chapter 2, verse 1, another exhortation in chapter 4, in chapter 6, and in chapter 10. I love chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us... Consider how we can stir up, provoke, stimulate one another to love and good works. So we see all these exhortations, but the exhortation that I want to focus on this morning is here in chapter 12 in verse 1, where he says we are to run with the endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we run a race with endurance, with endurance and not grow, grow weary and faint-hearted? So if we read our text, we did, we see that we are surrounded. There's a picture here. There's this metaphor here that we are surrounded like we're, by all these witnesses. And these witnesses are actually the, the hall of faith or the chapter of faith in verse 11. In verse 11, the writer of Hebrews talks about Abel and, and Enoch and, and um, Abraham and Sarah and Moses. And he gives us all these names and Jephthah and Samson, Samuel and David. And he's saying that all of these, all of these, these, these Old Testament saints, they're in heaven. And it's like he's picturing like you we're in this Colosseum, right? And we're in this race and they're all surrounding us and they're cheering us on. Not literally, but their lives, their testimonies are cheering us on. And he says we're in this race. And I know running is not for everyone, right? So maybe some of us are going to have a hard time relating to this. I used to run when I was young. I don't run anymore. I don't like running. I think it's, I love runners. They say, you know, when you're done running, you know, you feel so good, right? You feel so good after you're done. And I always giggle because, of course, you feel good. You're no longer punishing your body anymore, <laughs> right? That's the truth. But here he's talking about this race. And we need to understand this race here, it's not a 100-meter dash. It's not a sprint. He's talking about a marathon. He's talking about a long race. The race of faith is a long race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. And that's what he's saying. He goes, I don't want you to crash out. I don't want you to become weary and faint-hearted. 
So that's the picture here. We're in a race. We're in this marathon. And he wants us to endure. So he gives us three, I believe, three exhortations in these three verses. And the first is found in verse 1. He says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. So, point number one, he gives us an exhortation. He gives us a warning about these hindrances. Now, he gives us two. He talks about every, lay aside every weight and sin. Now, commentators are divided on this. Is he talking about two separate things, weights and sins, or is he talking about one thing described in two different ways? I believe he's talking about two separate things. He's talking about weights, and he's talking about sins. That's what I believe. And he's saying we need to divest here. We need to throw these things off. We need to strip ourselves off of these weights, whether the weights are sins. And that's what he's calling us to do. So the first thing is this weight. So in ancient times in Greece, and even today, the athletes, when they would practice, when they would, when, when they would go out and train, they would wear these weights. They would wear weights so they can build up their strength and stamina. And he's saying, get rid of these weights. But they would also show up in these coliseums and they would wear robes. They would wear their clothing. And he says, you're about to enter into a race. Therefore, strip these things off. Take off the clothing. Take off those weights. Lay it aside. He says, so you can run and you can run unhindered. Take them off. And that's what he's saying here. The weights that hinder now, here's the thing. Nothing are, not all hindrances, not all weights are sins, right? A hindrance is something otherwise good. A robe, wearing a robe isn't a sin, right? Wearing weights on my ankles isn't a, a sin. Wearing cowboy boots while I'm running isn't a sin, Right? I used to wear cowboy boots. But the point is, it's, they're not sins. These weights are not sins. But he's asking us, but do they help you run? Do they help you get to the end of the race? Are these things that you're wearing, these things that you're dealing with in your life, are they helping you? Are they causing you to become weary and faint-hearted? The other day I was talking to my wife about this text and she goes, oh, that, that reminds me of Hosea chapter 12. Hosea was talking to the people of Israel and this is what he says. He says to the people of Israel, are you spending your time feeding on the wind? Are we spending our time feeding on the wind? Are there things in our lives, are there weights in our lives that we're just wasting our time? And therefore we have grown weary and we're tired, and we don't want to run. And that's what the author, that's what the writer here is saying. Are we wasting our time on things that are really eternally not helpful? They don't help me run. He says, therefore, we need to strip these things off. Hosea will go on to say in chapter 10, he says, sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your barren ground. 
For it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness on you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's time to seek the Lord. Blow, get rid of these weights in our lives. And you got to ask yourself, the things that I'm doing, my, my, my time, my energy, are they helping me run? Whatever it is. Is it going to the gym? Is it certain relationships? I don't know. You do. And he's saying, are these things helping you run? Are they dragging you down? Paul, in the book of, um, book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he would say even our relationships sometimes can cause us to stumble and fall. He says this in verse 29, 1 Corinthians. I say to those who are married, live as though you were unmarried. He says that. I say to those who are married, live as though you are unmarried. What is he saying? He says we live in perilous times. We live in times of uncertainty. Therefore, you people, you are so involved, so in love, so enamored with each other that you're saying, you're mine first. You're my wife first. I love you. I love you. I love you. Jesus is second. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, you're in a relationship and your wife is first and I'm second. You're in trouble. That's what he's saying. See, Paul's saying marriage is beautiful. Marriage is fine. Marriage is a blessing. Marriage was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the first thing that God gave us. And that's why Satan is trying to destroy marriages. But just like the garden, when we don't take God at his word and we don't put God first, we don't say, Lord, you're first, we fall into temptation. And eventually, sin. So whether it's our spouses, our families, our friends, our jobs, our hobbies, they cannot become our idols. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Strip these things off. You know, we say, Christ, you're mine. And my wife is second. Because when Christ is first, your wife is loved your husband is loved. Test God, he'll prove it's right. So that's the first thing. There are these weights in our lives. Let's get rid of them. The second thing he says is sin. He says not only do we cast aside every weight, he also says, and sin. He says we need to divest ourselves, strip off these sins. And I love the way ESV puts it. He says sins which cling so closely. He's talking about sins that cling so closely. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, these are sins in our lives that are so close to us, we live in them probably every day that maybe we don't even recognize that they're part of our lives. But guess what? God knows and everyone close to us knows what sins those are. These sins, he's saying, are so close that maybe we do know that we have them in our lives, but they become our close companion. and We don't want to get rid of them. In some other translations, it calls, they call it besetting sins. 
We all have them. And he says these sins, they, they, they kind of, they're so easily entangled and we immediately go to them. It's kind of like, that's what we do. And here's the thing. I don't know you well enough. I'm just, I'm just a visitor. So I'm not here to push your buttons. I'm not here to tell you to, you know, confess your sins. But God's word does. So don't kill the messenger, right? This is God's word, right? So here's the question. What sin, what sins in your life that are so, you're so easily entangled in? I know my sins that I struggle with. Think about sins in the mind, things that people can't see, and that's what he's talking about. Here's a list. Maybe you can relate. Is it the sin of covetedness? The sin of envy? Criticism? Laziness? Hatred? Lust? Unthankfulness? Pride? Unbelief? Whatever it is for us to endure, the author of Hebrews is saying we need to strip this behind. We need to get rid of these weights that are not sins, but they're in our lives, but they're causing us to, 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 to trip up. And then we have these sins in our lives that are just causing us to, to always be disqualified in certain things. He says, man, confess those things. Get rid of them. We have a righteous God, forgiving God. One of my ministries at West Hills is to work with the seniors, and I love working with seniors. Um, just love them. Um, I want to say a month ago, I was walking out of church, and this lady, she's 94 years old, and she says, BJ, I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? Oh, she goes, you know, I moved in with my son and my daughter-in-law, and uh, so I had a meeting with them individually, and I went to each one of them, and I said, I know I've moved in here. It's been a couple of months now. And I know I do things that bother you. I know I do things that irk you. I know I do things that probably I don't realize I do, but I'm sinning against you. And I'm asking you, can you please tell me what these things are? Because I want to apologize. I want to work them out. I want to ask God for strength that I can get through these things. And her son and her daughter were like, oh my gosh, no. They were convicted. And they said, well, we do things to you too, mom. So, I mean, and she goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk about your things. I'm, I'm confessing my things to you. We can talk about that another day. And I thought, how cool. Here is a 94-year-old lady. And right, so if you think about this, this, this illustration of we're in a race, a marathon, 94, I mean, in reality, my hope is that she can live another 10 years. She can be 104. People live to 104, 105. But in reality, her race is almost over. Her race is like almost done. But yet, she's still asking the Lord to strip things out of her life. And I thought, you know, that is a great example. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you know what? She's such a great lady. I want to be more like her. Because you know why? She wants to be more like Jesus. Because she's looking at Jesus. 
So the bottom line, what the author here is saying, that this is extreme, this image is extreme. But if we are to be honest, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. It makes sense. If we are to run in a race, we must strip our souls of anything that hinders it. If it's sin or if it's weights, let's just get rid of it. We all know what spring cleaning is. I, one of my sins is that I, I, I grab things. It's not a sin, but it could be a sin because I know I do it. So I get something, and I use it, and I don't put it back. And I, oh, look at all the wives looking at their husbands. And I put it here. And if you come to my house, you'll see all these piles in the, on the deck or in my room. And they just kind of get all messy, right? And my wife will say to me, you know, with, with my wife's a godly woman. She, she's very long-suffering. She goes, honey, can you clean off the deck? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, honey, I, I will do it, you know. So two weeks, three weeks later, I finally clean off the deck, right? And I go, and I clean off the deck. And as, while I'm cleaning the deck and putting things away, it feels good to do it. It actually feels good to strip yourself, clean things up. And then when you're done, you're kind of like, man, I accomplished this. But, you know, it's always great the next morning, right? The next morning, you get up, and you go out to your clean deck or your clean living room, and it's like there's so much space. It's like... Oh, man, this is awesome, right? You're free to kind of roam. It's laughing. I know it's so funny, right? And it's like, but it feels so good. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When we get these things in our lives that are not sins, but they're hindrances, it feels so good because we can run the race. We can run the race better for his glory. So that's the first, first, first point, that we run the race with endurance not to grow weary, so we lay aside these weights and sins that are so easily entangled in us. Point two, he gives us an exhortation to endure. He says to run with endurance. Run with the endurance. This, this word endurance, this word endure, it's the Greek word hypemone, and it means to persevere, to remain under, to bear up under, to have patience, to bear up under. The endurance here is to, for, like towards things and circumstances. He's talking about a character that Christians have that don't allow us to surrender under heavy, heavy circumstances. We're not going to fall into the trap of quitting. So it means to endure, to have endurance, perseverance, we can remain constant under this suffering, even through faith in our duty. Because, he says, we do these things because you don't, you don't want to become weary and faint-hearted. Right? So the opposite of, of endure is to grow weary and faint-hearted. And that's what we see at the end of verse 3. He says, I don't want you to grow weary and faint-hearted. The word grow weary here in the Greek is kamno. It expresses weakness. It expresses sickness. Now, again, it's been a long time since I ran, but do you remember when you were younger and you, maybe you're on a soccer team or a football team and they would have the coach would have you do suicides and you're running back and forth in the heat and you, and you just can't go any farther. And next thing you know, you're dry heaving. You're sick. You're, you're exhausted. You're just like, whoa. That's what he's saying here. The word weary means to just totally be exhausted, that you're dry heaving. 
He says, you don't want to get there. Faint-hearted. That word means to suffer complete exhaustion. In fact, Jesus in Mark chapter 8, after he feeds the 4,000, he said, the people have been with us for three days without any food. He says, don't send them away home because they may faint along the way. And that's what he's talking about, right? We can come to a point in our lives, if we don't strip ourselves of these things, if we're not looking to Jesus, we can faint along the way. And we can be spiritually exhausted. And you say, no, we need to endure. But the point is, or the fact is, maybe some of us here are weary. Maybe there's some here who are just kind of, you're tired. You're exhausted. Maybe you want to quit. Maybe you want to give in to the pressure. You just want to stop. Let me just give you a quick story of endurance. There was this man, his name was Bill Broadhurst. Bill Broadhurst was a Christian man, and he loved to run. He loved to run. He was like, man, God created me to run. One morning, he woke up, and he was not feeling good, so he went to the hospital, and sure enough, he was sick. He had a brain aneurysm. The doctors performed surgery on Bill, and when he came out of surgery, he was partially paralyzed on his left side of his body. He would be that way for the rest of his life. 10 years, 10 years after his surgery, in anguishing hours of rehab and therapy, Bill started jogging again, but with extreme limitations. He said, his leg would just kind of flop. And I'm not making fun of anyone, our Bill. But Bill says his leg just kind of like would just, he would just kind of run like, like that. It was, a, it was like a really slow jog, but his leg moved. So one day he heard that his hero, Bill Rogers, the greatest American marathon runner, the winner of four Boston marathons and four New York marathons was coming to his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska to run in a 10K race. A 10K race is only 6.2 miles, but he was coming. It was kind of like the sponsorship thing. And Bill Broadhurst thought, that's my hero. Man, he's coming to my hometown to run. He's like, you know, maybe I can run. Maybe I can join the race because anyone can join the race. Maybe I can do it, and I probably won't finish it, but my hero's in the race, and that would be so cool to have my name on the newspaper as one of the contestants with Bill Rogers. So the race came. By the way, Bill Rogers did not know Bill Broadhurst. He didn't know this man at all. And Bill Rogers was a great runner. He would actually finish the race, he would win the race, in 29 minutes and like 37 seconds. Six miles in 29 minutes. Amazing. The other runners who were real runners finished the race in 30 minutes to 50 minutes. 
The recreational joggers, they finished the race in 60 to 70 minutes, but it would take Bill Broadhurst much longer. He describes as he ran, he says his left side was so numb. It was in so much pain that he wanted to quit. He wanted to drop out. He said after two hours, the cars were back on the road. Going across the intersections was becoming difficult. One police officer saw him struggling, so he blocked the traffic so Bill would cross the intersection. Kids had no idea that he was competing. They were riding along on their bikes saying, Mister, you missed a good race. At two hours and 20 minutes, he said the pain was so bad. It was throbbing so much that he knew there's no way in the world I can make this. I shouldn't go on. This is dumb. This is foolishness. He wanted to quit. But he looked up and he saw the end. He saw the end of the race. And he got this like burst of like adrenaline. He was like, I can make it. I can make it. But then immediately his heart sank because they had taken down the banner for the race. It was just a run to the end. The road was closed. So he had to finish the race on the sidewalk. As he was running the last few hundred yards, he said, what a fool. I'm such a fool. What am I doing? But he pushed on. And just before he got to the end of the race, out of the alleyway came Bill Rogers and 30 other people. They had waited for him. They came out and they put a, they put a ribbon for him to run through. And as Bill Broadhurst powered his body across the finish line, his hero, Bill Rogers, stood there and hugged him. He embraced him. He says, man, that is awesome. Well done. You've endured. You did it. He takes his medal off and he puts it on, broad, on Bill Broder and says, you're the winner. You're my inspiration. Whew. Bill just cried. He just said, wow, I'm glad I endured to the end. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful picture of Christ in our life, right? That's the picture of when we endure a picture of perseverance. Because see, Jesus, the author is saying here, he's the first runner. He's the first runner of the race of faith. And he has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten us as, as pathetic, struggling runners. Christ has taken hold of us, and he's making us fit for the race. He's cheering us on towards the goal. And Christ is waiting at the finish line wanting to give us a prize, a prize, the award that he earned. So we endure, friends, because Christ is worthy. We endure, for he is beautifully and wonderfully worthy. It reminds me of the two Moravian Christians who sold themselves into slavery because they wanted to reach the slaves the, the New Hebrides, the islands. And as they sold themselves, they were on the ship. They both raised their hands and they said, to the lamb, may he receive the reward of his sufferings. Because what Christ does, folks, he brings many sons to glory. We just need to endure. He does all the work for us. And I know life is hard. And I know we grow weary 
And sometimes this is what happens. We start listening to the voices in our minds. We start listening to the voices of the world. And we fall into the lies. We say, quit. You need to stop. You're a loser. Don't do it. You're a fool. Or maybe we hear the other side. They hear the other people say, no, you need to try harder. You got to try harder. You got to pray more. You got to study more. You got to serve more. You got to give more. We fall into those lives. And you say, that's why you're weary and faint-hearted. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. That would turn the gospel on its head. No, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, listen to the language that he uses here. He says, run the race that is set before us. Listen to that three-letter word. Run the race that is set before us. What is he saying here? He's saying, you can persevere. You can endure. Because the, the race has been mapped out for us. The race that we're in, every race that we're in, I can't run your race, you can't run my race, but all our races have been planned by God himself. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians, Paul tells Ephesians in chapter 2, 8 and 9, he says, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it is a gift to God, not of works that any man should boast, but then this is what he goes on to say. He says, we are his workmanship, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, friends, what the book of Hebrews is saying that it's grace from beginning, from the beginning to end. This race that we endure, this race that we're on, this race that God has set before us, God has planned it for us before the foundation of the world. And he wants us, in other words, just look at the text. Look what it says. He wants us to draw our motivation and our power and our stamina and our endurance from Jesus. From who? From Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Because we're in union with Jesus. Because we are forgiven sinners. Because all the guilt is gone. Because we are loved because we have been adopted into his family, because the Father has given us to Jesus, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. So he says, run with endurance. He's not saying do more. He's not saying dig deep. That's nonsense. Christ says it is finished. Our salvation has been bought and paid for. He's saying just run. Run looking unto Jesus. You can't suck it up. You can't cowboy up. It's not up to you. It's up to God. That's why he says, look unto Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. 
It's gospel from beginning to end. It's run because we're in union with Jesus. It's run because our sins are forgiven. It's run because all the obstacles have been mapped out before us by God himself. And there isn't an obstacle that Jesus hasn't planned or over which he has set his promise or given us his word and his shed blood. And I love what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 8.28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And I ask you a question. Do you love God? Do you love God? Then all things work together for your good. Not some things. All things. Not certain things. All things. Whatever pain you're going through today, whatever struggles that you are facing today, whatever path or trials you're going through today, it is for your good. I don't know how it works out. God does. I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't think it was a good thing that he was sold into slavery. I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't think it was cool that Potiphar's wife said that he was trying to do things to her. But he ended up being the ruler of Egypt. God used him to save his people. God works all things together for good. Paul would tell the Philippians that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, folks, it's looking to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's what the author here is saying. It's all about Jesus. He knows the race. He is, he is the first one to run it. He ran it perfectly, and he ran it for our good. So that's second exhortation. The third exhortation is looking unto Jesus. We run the race that is set before us by looking unto Jesus. That's how we endure that's how we get through. And brothers and sisters, if you hear anything today, please catch this. See, we run this race, and it's a race that has been mapped out by God. It's been planned by God. And it involves endurance. It will involve perseverance. But it will also involve dying to sin and dying to self. And the only way through this pain, only way through it, through the obstacles, through the hard times, through the suffering, is looking to Jesus. That's the only way we can make it through. And I know maybe some of us today have stopped running. You stop running, it's hard. Life is hard, and you're tired, and you're weary. And you say, I, I can't run anymore. Maybe you're off on a detour today. I don't know. Or you're in a rest stop somewhere. Or maybe today you're here and you're saying, you know what? I just don't have that fire that I had when I first came to Christ. So I, you know, I'm just tired. I'm weary. That's okay. 
Jesus says, it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. Jesus says, if you're breathing air or we're alive today, you're still in the race because you're alive. And this is what Jesus says to you. He says it to the church of Ephesus. He says, remember your first love. Remember. Remember your first love. Repent of your sins, whatever they are, and return. Man, what an amazing, loving, forgiving God. He says, just remember. Remember the love that we had. The love that we have. Repent. Throw off these sins that you have in your life. I forgive you. There's, therefore, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've asked for forgiveness of a sin, it's forgiven, brothers and sisters. As far as the east, the east, and the west is the west. And this devil in our minds want to bring back all these sins that we've been forgiven of. He's like, man, cast those aside. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He would tell the church of Laodicea, right, the lukewarm church, the church, he says, you know, you're neither hot nor cold. I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says that to the church of Laodicea. But he says this, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Oh, this is an invitation to intimacy and fellowship. And Jesus is saying, yes, running is hard, but focus on me. And if we focus on Jesus, we'll get through the pain barrier and we will see the end. And we can persevere. If we run with perseverance, looking to Jesus, we look to Jesus every step of the way. Little side note, by the way, Church of Laodicea, it was the church that Jesus said, I want to spit you out of my mouth. It was the, one of the longest lasting churches, by the way. They took heed of what Jesus said. I love that. So what is, it, what is it to look to Jesus? This is what it is. Looking to Jesus is looking away from ourselves. Looking to Jesus is looking away from your feelings. Looking to Jesus is looking away from your experiences. Looking away from all your works, all your deeds. Looking away from all your decisions. Looking away from your thoughts and your ways. It says, just look unto Jesus. Jesus, who was appointed by the Father, who was sent by the Father to be our prophet, to be our priest, to be our king, to be our surety, to be our sanctification. He is our sacrifice. He is our security, and he is our salvation. We look unto Jesus. And that's what he says. And I love Hebrews, right? Because here he says, he says, we look unto Jesus because he's the what? He's this great motivator. He's the great encourager. But look what he says. He says, we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. But you do notice, though, what he says here about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? He says, Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the Lord Jesus. He says Jesus. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. 
You know why? Because that's Jesus' human name. That's the name that Jesus got at his birth. His name will be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. But this name speaks of his humanity, his full humanity, right? Because Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He's not like, there's not this combination of two. It's he is fully God and he's fully man. This way he can be our representative and he can be our savior. Because he is fully God and fully man. That's what he's saying. And he's, he uses his human name. Why? Two things. First, he says he's our founder. It says he's our founder and perfecter of our faith. That word founder could be translated trailblazer. That's what the word can mean. Jesus is our trailblazer. It's like a military term. It's like the term a trailblazer is a person who goes before the troops and he has the big old knife and he's cutting through the jungle and he's making a way and, and everyone's following him. That's who Jesus is. He's the trailblazer of our faith. It's a military term. He opens up the way. But he's also the architect. He's the architect of our faith. And so to be the architect of our faith means that he is the one who established everything. Everything that has to do with our salvation is because he is the architect. And he's the architect and he's the perfecter. So from A to Z, he's the builder of it. He is the one who designed it. He is the one who accomplished it. He is the one who accomplished it, and he is the one who did everything. He is the architect of our faith. He is the one who also gives us faith. Not only does he give, right, he gives us faith, he gives us the ability to believe. He did it first, and then he grants us the gift of repentance. Repentance. One theologian says, faith is not a flower that blooms in the hearts of depravity. Foolishness, right? No, because none are righteous. No, not one. Faith is all of God. It is a gift of God. In fact, John would say in his, sec in his third letter that we love him because he first loved us. I'm sorry, first letter. 1 John 4.20. Paul would say in Ephesians again, our faith is a gift. So therefore, Jesus is the founder of our faith. And this is why, because by the means of his incarnation that Jesus became man. He's the founder of our faith because he came to earth to become man. And that he was born of a virgin. That he lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live that he was tortured and crucified on the cross, that he, was, he died and he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead, and that he takes his place at the right hand of the Father, and one day he will come again for those who believe and hope in him. He is the founder of our faith. And all of that is the basis of our saving faith. He is the author, founder, architect of our salvation. He's every single bit of it. We have absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. It's all Jesus. There is only one hero. 
Only one person who died for the sins of the world, the perfect son of God, the lamb of God. And you cannot hang your faith on your imagination of who Jesus is. You can't hang your faith on the Jesus portrayed on TV. Or the Jesus that we come up in our minds. We can't hang our faith on imaginations. Our faith has to hang on something solid And that faith has to be in the solid work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, through his word alone, for his glory alone. And we need to fix our eyes on that Jesus, the Jesus that's found in the Bible. The Bible is where we see Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Christ, who is our solid rock. But notice, he says not only is our founder, he's our perfecter. He's the finisher. He doesn't just begin our faith, he also completes it. The word here, perfecter, means to bring to completion. He will bring to completion and perfection. And in the process of living the Christian life, we do, we stumble, we fall, we we, we We may backslide at times, but God is maturing us, and Christ will perfect us. And as I read the verse earlier, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Amen. But I I, I just want to, I'm almost done. Are we good on time? I hope so. (laughs) Verse three. You just got to see this because Look at verse 3. It says, consider him, in chapter 12, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. Some translations, it says, examine him. Right? The word here, consider, examine, it means to like make, make an assessment, right? It's like as if you were to go buy a brand new car, right? You're going to buy a really nice car. You're going to examine it. You're going to like not just buy it off the lot. You're going to walk around it. You're going to open up the hood. You're going to sit in the chairs. You're going to examine it. You're going to actually see, is this thing good? Is it really solid, right? Some people are, are blessed. They can go to a store and buy a pair of clothing. Not me. I have to try on every pair of pants, every shirt, every pair of shoes, right? That's just who I am. I examine things closely, and that's what he's saying. We need to examine closely our Lord Jesus, but listen what he tells us. What are we to examine? Out of all the things that he says, I want you to look carefully. He says, First off, what happened to him at the hands of sinners? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Wow. His example of endurance in the midst of suffering, Jesus' example, his example, and then being exalted from the result of his suffering, 
the writer of Hebrews saying, you know what, you're feeling kind of sorry for yourself. You're under a lot of pressure. You feel exhausted. Maybe people are persecuting you. Wow. And you're probably tempted to become weary and faint-hearted. I understand. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider him who endured such hostility against men. And I know if I was there, I would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him too. And he says, this is what we examine. This is what we look at. He says the Hebrew, wants, the Hebrew writer wants us to remember, the remembering for us to remember the sufferings of our Lord Jesus. Remember that he was despised and rejected of men. Remember that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. He bore our punishment. He was judged unjustly. He was cut off from the land of the living. He says, look carefully. Look carefully, friends. And praise God for his love that he sent his only begotten son for us sinners. As John would say, in this we know love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation our sins. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Be of good courage. I have overcome the world. It is Christ who begins our faith. He will finish our faith for you and me. It is grace all the way. It is Jesus all the way. It is look unto Jesus. And the key to our perseverance do we believe truly that God is working in our lives in such a way, in maybe strange ways, in painful ways, but do we believe that God is working all things together for our good? Do we believe that? Yes. And we may not be, and I have to say this, the great cloud of witnesses, the reason why there are our witnesses in the beginning, is because they all died without receiving the promise. They all died without seeing Christ being born. And the Bible, the Hebrews is saying, we know that Christ was born. We live on this side of the cross. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And if the Old Testament saints persevered and endured, looking to the day, looking to the promised land that Christ would one day come, oh, how much so should we look unto Jesus, look unto Jesus, who's truly the author and the finisher of our faith. I've asked the worship team to lead us in our last song. And, uh, Stand up as we sing. Turn your eyes on some.